All right, let's take our Bibles this evening. Look with me, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5, in our Bibles this evening. Good to see some teenagers out tonight. Looking forward to a nice, warm corn maze later tonight. That'll be great. Mrs. Burden's already putting on the chapstick, getting ready for the corn maze. It's going to be a little chilly out there, isn't it? It was a warm fall that was taking place, and then all of a sudden the temperatures kind of died off a little bit. But I'm enjoying the, enjoying the fall colors anyway. James chapter 5 is where we'll be this evening. James is writing to believers, and I want you to keep that in mind as we're going through our study tonight in chapter 5. Uh, in the first six verses, he's talking specifically, and really there's quite a bit of condemnation for wealthy um, uh, business owners or men who are persecuting others. Um, and you can go back and read it if you'd like, but he talks about rich men and miseries that are going to come upon them, really for how they're behaving, the business dealings they're making and how they're using and the, the authority and the power that they have. And then we come to verse 7, and that's where I want to begin reading here this evening. And he exhorts some believers who were being persecuted. So it's not just trials, though that there's application for those of us who may be going through a trial. It's not just hardships, but specifically what he's talking about here is when you are being taken advantage of or persecuted by another person, okay? Um, frankly, most of us don't experience this on a regular basis. Very rarely, some of us uh, may have never experienced something like this. And then at smaller or lesser levels, I think to some degree many people have experienced it. Uh, maybe even on the playground, someone says something to you that's unkind. Uh, or maybe in your family. Well, that couldn't be true, could it? Unkind words spoken in the family, that, that, couldn't, that can't possibly be true. Um, but you see, it, it could be. Uh, and so how should we respond? How should we go through life um, when, when life isn't going our way, when uh, there's hurt, when there's sorrow, when there's grief, when there's reason to mourn? And in particular, he's talking about when people are harming you or hurting you. Uh, look with me, if you would, at verse number 7. I'll read down through verse 11 in our time this evening. Verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren. Lest ye be condemned, behold, or look and see, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Let's read verse 11, though I don't think I'll get to it tonight. Verse 11 says, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray. Um, Father, you know the needs that are represented in this room in, in a ways in far, far greater detail than I can even imagine. So Father, whether it be a young person who maybe has someone who's 
being unkind to them, uh, or maybe it's a marriage relationship, or maybe a family relationship, maybe it's in the workplace, maybe it's just heartache and grief that a person's going through, maybe it's just life. Whatever the case, Father, would you make application by your Holy Spirit, encourage our hearts, teach us, I pray, as we've just sung as a prayer to you, that we might live our lives in such a way that would be pleasing to you. So, Lord, give us your truth, and, Father, may we respond in faith and obedience. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we don't know exactly where these Jewish believers were at. Uh, They, it seems from the Word of God, that they were scattered abroad. They were here, there. The Hebrews, through persecution, had been scattered They weren't just in the land of what we would call modern-day Israel, but they were God's people nonetheless. And many of them, uh, at this time, had trusted the Lord, uh, but they had been scattered. They were scattered in different parts. And again, James is writing to Hebrews, but people who are believers, people who had put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ the same way you have and the same way I have. So they were born again, they were saved, but they were scattered abroad, and they were facing different kinds of tests. Uh, We all like tests, don't we? We like it when our faith is tested. No, none of us really do. Uh, None of us really enjoy being tested. But their faith was being tested of whether they really believed in the Lord Jesus Christ or not. If they really were Bible believers or not. If they were actually disciples of Jesus or not. Were they just professors? Or were they actually followers of Jesus Christ? And so they were facing tests. They were also facing afflictions. And they were facing temptations. And they were facing persecutions. And specifically, James talks about that here in chapter 5. But all of these things God had brought into their lives for a reason. And the reason was this. God wanted his people to learn patience. Mm. Patience. How many of you here have come to a full understanding of patience. And you would describe yourself as having fully arrived at being a patient person in all things. Right. None of us. All of us are kind of shrinking. We're not, no one's even thinking about lifting a hand. Well, we struggle with patience, don't we? And it's interesting because in some things, uh, we can be very patient. But in other areas, we're not patient at all. You know what I mean by that? Uh, Some of you are very, very patient with me, but you're very, very impatient with other people around you who are closer to you than me. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's true. So how is it that we can become patient? How can we grow in our patience? Uh, You know, really... It's part of our lives to be confronted with trouble. I've told you that before. You know that. We know that from the Word of God. In Job chapter 5 and verse 7, he said, Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Kind of seems kind of a pessimistic way to look at life. Um, but it's reality. Uh, it'd be, you know, as a parent, I look at my children sometimes and I... I ponder what their lives are going to be like. I ponder some of the challenges they're going to face. I ponder the different temptations that they're going to face. And I know them fairly well, and I ponder maybe weaknesses that they have or 
areas where they're going to be tested and tried, maybe prone to fall. Life, though a vapor, a lot gets packed into life. And, uh, and so, as, as man is born unto trouble, as the sparks fly upward. In John 16 and verse 33, Christ said this, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So it's not pessimistic. It's reality when we think about life, when we think about the challenges of life and the temptations of life. And frankly, as American citizens, um, we enjoy easier lives in many ways than people have endured, Christians of the past have endured. Our church, we meet tonight, and there's no fear of anybody coming in the back door and arresting us, gathering us up. We have no fear of going home after tonight's church service, studying the Word of God tonight, and, and someone coming to our door and hearing a rap at the door, and it's our local government, and they're saying, "Did you were you at the church service tonight on Elms Road at Trinity Baptist Church? And you say, yes, and they say, okay, put your hands behind your back. You have the right to remain silent. You know, I mean, that, that's beyond, we can't even hardly fathom that, but that's happened in the Soviet Union of the past. That happens in China today. They're clamping down more and more in Christianity today. Um, and it's happened for a long period of time. We don't face that. But yet we still do face trials. And yet even though we don't face the per- this kind, that kind of persecution in our lives, um, we still struggle with patience. Now he's specifically talking to believers who were being persecuted for their faith. And he's telling them... While you're being persecuted for your faith, you need to be patient. (laughs) I don't know. What do you mean I need to be patient for being persecuted? Well, that's what he was telling them. It's really a little beyond outside of uh, the scope of our reality. In a fallen world, in this world in which we live, there's trouble. And in one way or another, we all face trouble, and there really is no avoiding it. But the Holy Spirit is fully aware of our trials. He's fully aware of the suffering of God's people. He's fully aware of the persecution that God's people endure, and still he admonishes us to be patient. Why? Well, he tells us to be patient because we're not prone to it. Sometimes we respond to situations or maybe persecution or pressure from without in an ungodly way. We respond to it impatiently. Now, Sometimes the individuals who are applying the pressure to our lives, we don't respond to them negatively, but we respond, we take it out on other people around us. Okay? In fact, sometimes we blame God. Sometimes we become irritated with Him. We sometimes transfer our frustrations to our own Christian brothers and sisters and And uh, sometimes we become so irritated and so hostile that we start to lash out against everybody around us. There are believers who, when they're put into the crucible of suffering, become impossible for anybody to stand being around. Have you ever been that person? Where you were under immense pressure and stress, and it was just bubbling out on those who were closest to you. Have you ever been there? I have. I've been there. In verse 7, look at the beginning of verse 7, we find God's desire for us. And he says it very simply, Be patient, brethren. Be patient, brethren. Now, it's an interesting word, uh, the word patient. 
It's a compound word in the Greek language, uh, macrothueo. Macrothumeo is how it's said. It's really a compound word. The first part of it uh, has the idea of long or large, macros, big, something that is humongous, large, and especially the Greeks had in mind something that was especially long. And then thumos, the latter part of that Greek word means anger or has the idea of temperament. And so really what he's saying here is, I want you to be, brethren, I want you to be long-tempered. I want you to have good temper. We use that term temper uh, when making steel. There's different, different kinds of steel have different temper to it. Some steel can bend a long way and won't break. And other steel is quite brittle, or other metals are quite brittle. They'll snap easily. And some of us here are like, yeah, that was me. I snap pretty easily. And isn't it true that we're prone to snapping easily when we're under immense pressure? Isn't that true? By the way, we can encourage one another when a brother and sister in Christ is under intense and immense pressure, whether it's persecution from without, maybe it's just a a pressure, maybe it's uh, maybe it's maybe it's physical. Okay? There are all kinds of pressures, that, all kinds of things that can cause pressure in a person's life. You and I as believers, and especially in our marriage relationships, and I would encourage us to do a better job and, put, and view our marriages as ministries to the Lord, where we can actually encourage our spouse, we can encourage our children, we can encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ, we can minister grace to them when they're under immense pressure. Okay. So he's saying here, Uh, Be patient, brethren. Be long-tempered, brethren. Don't be short-tempered. Patience is enduring someone who's mistreating you and not becoming angry and full of vengeance, not responding. It's being slow to anger. Proverbs 15 and verse 18 says, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. That's especially applicable in a close working relationship and especially in a marriage relationship when a spouse or a boss or an employee is under immense pressure and immense stress. I mean, the blood pressure is up because of the pressures of life that they're facing. And, and, and maybe they say something to you or to me in a tone that may not be the most spiritual, and yet you know how we're... We, we tend to respond to that tone. We, re, we tend to respond to it in light kind. And immediately, what was a high-pressure situation now escalates. Well, how do we get there? Well, we didn't follow Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 18. Uh, instead, we weren't slow to anger that appeaseth strife, but instead we were quick to anger, and we were like the match that lights a fuse. We would do well to be gracious to our spouse, gracious to our children, gracious to our brothers and sisters in Christ, to be long-tempered, bend a long way, without breaking, instead of just snapping. Okay, Proverbs 16 and verse 32 says this, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit 
than he that taketh a city. We got some boys here. How many of you want to be big and strong? How many of you want to grow and you want to be strong like your daddy someday? Okay, I see that. We got the pagan boys and the McBride. The Evan, I see that hand. Yep. Kavian, put your hand up. Your daddy's strong. All right. All right, we got some boys. They want to be strong someday. They want to grow up and be strong. You put your hands down. We're not going to do any weightlifting or anything like that or arm wrestling competitions tonight. But you know what? It says here in this verse, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Think about that. There's some boys here, and they want to be strong. Yeah, they want to be strong. And that's good. I think it's great. Be strong. Work hard. But you know what? You know what's better than being strong and being physically mighty? Someone, the Bible says, who is slow to anger. Uh, that means don't get mad at your brother as fast. Of course, you never get mad at your brother, right, Evan? You never get mad. All right, don't, don't answer. Just That was a question not meant to be answered. <laughs> I, sh- I, I apologize, McBride. Um, I'm engaging Evan. It's, it's better to be, to be able to control our temper, our anger, than be mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit, than he that taketh the city. Some of us are like this in our spirit. We're up and down. We're all over the place. Uh, some, of us are emo- some of us are more emotional in general, okay, than others. That's part of our personality. But you know what? That We ought not use that as an excuse for this, okay? Well, that's just who I am. I'm just an emotional person, so hang on tight. It's going to be like going to Cedar Point. No, no, that's not an excuse just because you're... A little more emotional doesn't mean that you cannot um, rule your spirit by the grace of God. So, in these five verses, I think are really, really practical and really, frankly, very direct in helping us understand how we can be patient. I want to just notice three truths on this: how do how can we be patient? How can this be a help? Uh, it's a command: be patient, um, be long-tempered. Okay, that's great. Pastor Ferguson, but I know what's coming tomorrow, and I know what's coming this week, and I'm, I know I'm going to struggle. Well, here's three truths that can help you and I be patient. Okay, number one, look for the coming of the Lord. Now, I'm not making this up. Look at verse number seven and eight. Look at what he says. He says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman awaiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain. He says it again in verse 8, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Twice in those two verses he tells us to be patient and to look for the coming of the Lord. Be patient with the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in mind. And now this is something we don't often do. I don't know that on a daily basis you and I think Today could be the day the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. I don't know how many of us on a daily basis think about Christ returning. What we tend to be consumed with is the troubles of life or the things we want to do in life. Okay, so the things we want to do, and, and, and really this is kind of how we try to deal with the troubles and, of the heart, and the hardships of life. We try, to, we try to salve the pressures of life with all the things we want to do in life. Okay? Um, and there's a lot of things I want to do in life and things I love doing in life, 
But that's not the Bible way and how to overcome stress and trials and impatience. How to come overcome impatience is to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. Another way to say it would be this. This life and the problems and trials of this life are not going to be forever. Now that's really huge. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought something like this? There's no end to this. Have you ever been there? There's no end to this. this is, it's going to be like this forever. Okay? Um, and you know what? That's not true. It's not going to be like this forever. The trials of life are not going to last forever. And frankly, in not so subtle a way, in verses 7 and 8, James reminds these persecuted believers that Christ the Lord is coming again. Look again at verse number 7, the beginning part. He says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Look at verse number 8, the latter part. He says, For the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And then look at verse number 9, the latter part, and I'll explain this a little bit later. He says, Behold, the judge standeth before the door. In other words, what you're going through isn't going to last forever. The way it is, the way things are in your life, this is not going to be the way that it always is. And if you're going through an intense trial, or suffering, or loss, or hurt, what I just said to you is very, very comforting because you need something to hope for. It's not going to be this way forever. So he's saying this, anticipate the Lord's coming. Look for the Lord to return. In the face of difficulty, in the face of persecution, know that it's not always going to be like this. And some of us long for heaven because of a deep and sincere love for our Savior. But for most of us, Heaven is dearer. We look for it more because of the suffering that we endure in this world. The hardship, the failure, the hurt, the grief that sometimes is so intense. In the church, the body of Christ has always lived in light of this truth. Jesus Christ is coming again. He's coming again. He's going to set everything right. And it's going to be that way for all of eternity. It's a beautiful, it's wonderful truth. This isn't a reason to despise this life, by the way. I can't stand life. Okay, no, it's not a reason to live in depression. It's a reason to hope, to endure, because there's a light ahead. There's hope. There's something beautiful that God has in store for you and for me and for all of his followers for all of eternity. Now, there are three questions I'd like to ask you this evening, and we'll move along quickly, but are you living in anticipation of Christ's return? Do you think about it at all? Do you ponder it at all? A persecuted church, listen to this, a persecuted church longs for Christ's return. A persecuted church longs for Jesus Christ to come and to deliver them out of their trouble. I'm reminded of the, the early church in Rome that suffered tremendous persecution um, under the hand of different emperors of Rome. And the, 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 uh, the, before church became popular in Rome under Constantine, there were many emperors that would persecute the church at length. It was illegal to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. They passed laws against worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ because the emperors wanted the people to worship them, themselves, as emperor. 
And, uh, and so the, the persecution was so intense that the churches would actually meet below the streets in the catacombs where they would bury people. And they would do Bible studies there. And the Word of God would be taught and preached there. They would uh, partake in the Lord's, of the Lord's Supper there, high, in hiding. And if they were caught, they would lose businesses. Uh, uh, some, it got to the point where they were literally, um, under certain emperors, they were literally having games where they would put the Christians in the center of the arena and they would turn wild animals loose on them to eat them and kill them and maim them. There were different emperors. One particular emperor actually took some of these believers and he would impale them on a stake and he would uh, cover them in pitch or tar and light them on fire to light his roads. Okay. And so instead of despairing of life, and I cannot imagine, frankly, living and trying to pastor or have a local church under that kind of persecution... To these Hebrew believers, and this would have been applicable to those believers who suffered in Rome and in many other places around the world, the Bible is telling them, be patient, long-tempered, and look for the coming of the Lord. His deliverance is coming. He's coming. He's coming again. We sing it. And the more that we go through life and the, the more we, are, we, re, we realize the sinfulness of this world and the, the weaknesses of our own flesh, the more we long for heaven, the more we long for the completion of our salvation, the, the completion of the Lord's salvation in our lives. And James is telling these believers, one of the ways that you can become patient is by looking for the coming of the Lord. In verse number 7, look there, the latter part, he talks about how long and how patiently we should wait. Look at verse number 7, the latter part. He says this, Behold, the husbandman waiteth. That has the idea of looking for something with expectation. The husbandman, or the farmer, looks, he waits for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. So John, James, excuse me, gives this simple illustration in verse number 7, the latter part, and he says this, that the farmer plants and he waits. And again, the word waiteth means to accept from some source, to look for. And it has the idea of to look for with expectation. And the farmer does so patiently. He goes out in the spring and he plants the fields, right? And, uh, and then he waits patiently. Have you ever seen a farmer standing out there in his field? You know, he, gets, he just finishes uh, planting with the tractor, stops the tractor, gets out, you know, and puts his ear to the ground and listens, you know, and Maybe pats it a little bit, and he's tapping his feet, you know, and what's the hold up here? You know, have you ever seen that of a farmer? No, he plants his field, and he waits. Goes home, and he waits. He waits days. And then after some days or a week, all of a sudden, I love seeing this, the winter wheat. They've been putting in winter wheat, and you see it coming up. I love seeing those long, straight rows in the fields. And then what does a farmer do when the winter wheat comes up this time of year? Well, you know what he does? He goes and gets his combine, right? And he just gets right out there in the field and starts trying to mow his winter wheat, right? No, he waits. He waits. And he's going to have to wait. It's going to get colder, and the leaves are all going to come off the trees, and he's going to wait. He's going to wait. And that winter wheat's going to grow, and it's got to change color, and he's going to wait. And you know what? James is telling his believers, you're going to have to wait. 
you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to have some expectation. You're looking, you're waiting, because Christ has not returned yet. Deliverance is not now. You're still going to have to endure some persecution. You're still going to have to live life. You're still going to have to go through some hardships and some loss. It's life. It's not all going to be easy, but you ought to be waiting. You ought to be looking. It will help you to be patient by looking with expectation for the Lord Jesus Christ to return to set everything right. You see, we ought to be looking. We're to be waiting. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. There may be someone here this evening and you're very, very close to giving in. Maybe to a temptation or maybe to, maybe you're close to giving up in a trial. You just, you've just about had it. And I would encourage you, don't faint. Because if you won't faint, you'll reap in due season if you'll faint not. Don't faint, don't give up. The Lord's going to return, he's going to set everything right. Look at verse number 8, and notice how we're supposed to wait patiently. In verse 7, the beginning party tells us, uh, be patient, therefore. In verse number 8, the beginning party says, be ye also patient. Remember what that word means, long-tempered. Um, but how are we supposed to wait patiently? Well, look at verse 8. He says, be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It seems to me that it's pretty obvious that these believers were struggling with patience. I think they were struggling, and I think they were struggling immensely. I think they were quick to wrath. I think they were quick to speak. He's dealt, James deals with those things. I think there was some pride. I think, frankly, there was some attitude amongst them that, you know what, we deserve better than this. We don't deserve that. We shouldn't have to go through this. I think there might have been some of that attitude there as well. Um, why are we the only ones who seem to be suffering like this? I think these people were struggling with being patient. And, and, and well, what should we do when our patience is not what it ought to be? Well, the word established, you see it in verse number 8, he says, in verse 8, he says, be also patient. And then he says this, establish your hearts. Establish your hearts. The word establish means to set fast, to turn resolutely in a certain direction with our hearts. Establish. It's a strong word. It's a powerful word. The same word is found in Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 where Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. It says it this way, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. It has the idea of being resolute. It's an attitude of commitment to the Lord, no matter what the trial. In other words, it's, it might have this idea, I'm going to confidently move in the right direction. I don't feel like it. My feet are moving. I'm going in the right direction. I don't feel any better because I am right now. No one's saying, hey, good job. No one may know. That's hard sometimes when you're going through persecution and hardship. People will look at you and say, hey, good to see you. How you doing? And they have no idea. They have no idea how you're doing. And frankly, you can't tell them. But you're moving in the right direction. 
by faith, taking God at His word. The root of the word is to prop up. In other words, when you're about to collapse under the persecution that you're facing, or when you're about to collapse under the hardships that sometimes life can bring, James says here, uh, prop yourself up with the reality of Jesus coming. Prop yourself up with that reality. Hebrews 10 and verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another in so much the more as ye see the day approaching. He is coming. The day is approaching. Gather together. Prop yourself up with this. Be established. Be resolute in your direction because you know he's coming back. Not because it makes you feel better at the moment. So number one, look for the coming of the Lord. Number two, remember the Lord's judgment to come. Now this is a negative. This is not a positive. The first one's positive. Um, Okay, what can help me be patient? As I'm going through the challenges of life, some of them are small, some of them are immense, some of them are gargantuan. Okay, what, I need to be patient. How can I be patient? Well, remember that this life is brief. Remember that Christ is coming back. Remember that I'm going to rule and reign with him for all of eternity. Uh, That's something, that's positive. Okay, but this is negative. And James actually includes it. Look at verse number nine. He says this, Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Now he's telling us how to be patient. And he says this, be patient by remembering that the Lord's judgment is coming someday. Remember, be patient in this life, endure Uh, long-tempered, bend. You're going to have to bend as you go through this life. You're going to be bent multiple times probably. But endure, be patient, because someday you're going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to give an account to him for how you were bent. (laughs) Whether you snapped or how you bend, how, how how you were bent, yeah, bended. There are all kinds of variations of bend, I'm finding as I'm speaking. Bend. We'll stick with that one. So remember the Lord's judgment to come. You know, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes to rapture his church, every child of God is going to stand before God at the judgment seat, at the Bema seat. And all of our works are going to be evaluated while we were serving in this life. If we were serving in the flesh, they're going to be burned up and we're going to suffer loss. If we were serving in the Spirit, they're going to pass through the fire as gold, silver, and precious stone. So, were were we living in sin as we were going through this life? We all sin. We are all tempted. We We all stumble along this path. Not a single one of us is perfect. Are you on the upward trend, though? Are you moving in the right direction? Because if we're living in sin in this life, we're going to lose reward. In those days, in the time James was penning down these words, there was apparently a judgment hall that had great double doors. And when the judge would come through those doors, court was in session. And James pictures Jesus Christ standing on the other side of the double doors, about ready to come through the double doors, And in light of that, he says, grudge not one against another. Now, he's talking to us about being patient, but he gives us some real practical advice here, some instruction. I shouldn't call it advice, instruction. And he says, 
grudge not one against another. What does he mean by that? Grudge not one against another. Well, he says this, don't murmur. That's what he's saying. Now, you know I love when you say murmur altogether. We're not going to do it tonight. I already told myself this afternoon, don't make him say murmur. So I'm not going to make you say murmur, though I really would like it. Don't murmur, okay? Don't murmur. I'm going to say it as many times as I can. It's just a great word. Why shouldn't we grudge ourselves one against another? Why shouldn't we murmur? Shyland, don't you want to say the word murmur? It's a great word, Shyland. Don't murmur, but it's okay to say the word murmur. All right. Well, why, why, why shouldn't we murmur? Well, because living under persecution, why does he say this? Because living under persecution, living under stress, uh, can cause all kinds of frustration. It can cause all kinds of animosity. Uh, someone who is normally peaceful and tranquil and calm and happy and go lucky, you put them under stress. And it's like the Incredible Hulk, which I've never seen the movie, okay? I always shouldn't mention these things. You know, we're going down a different path. But all I know is this. The guy looked run-of-the-mill, and then all of a sudden he didn't. He looked very upset. And some of us look like that, too. What happened to the peaceful, happy servant of the Lord? Well, the stress and the pressures of life and their condition, the persecution they were facing was bringing out some grudgment and it was starting to overflow onto one another. Now, let me tell you this. Satan loves this. He loves this. Husband and wife, they're fine. They love each other. They don't have anything against one another. They love one another. They've been married a long time. The pressures at work, and the dad brings it home to his wife. Guess what? He doesn't go off on his employer. He doesn't take it out on the people he works with. He comes home to his beloved, and he takes it out on her. She gets all of it. Grudge not one another. Don't murmur about one another. And eventually, here's the problem, bitterness begins to overflow on those around us. Frustrated people, frankly, aren't fun to be around. Don't amen. Don't elbow your spouse. Nobody move. But frustrated people aren't fun to be around, are they? And we've been those frustrated people. Some of us in this room maybe are that frustrated person right now. And you know what? The children, spouse, your close friends, that's who gets it. And the thing is, it can be hurting, it can be damaging to those around us. And when others oppress us, we're likely to vent our frustrations to the the closest and the dearest to us. And James gives us a good reason why we don't want to grumble against one another. He says this, lest ye be condemned. In other words, the judge Jesus Christ is standing on the other side of the door. You're going to answer to him personally for how you lived your life in this life. You're going to answer to him for how you were patient, how you endured, how you walked in the Spirit, or how you responded to these worldly pressures in the flesh. You're going to answer to the Lord Jesus Christ for it. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We have a few minutes. I'm going to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You might want to turn there. 
it'd be worth you putting your eyes on it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll come back to James in just a moment. And I want to tell you this. The sin of grumbling is a serious sin. You know, when something's not going right in our lives, we start grumbling about a lot of things. Not just the one thing that isn't right. And, and frankly, some things aren't right. Okay? Things come into our lives that are not right. These believers were being persecuted. It wasn't right. Okay? It wasn't a matter of them deserving it. They were suffering. But James is giving them some very practical instruction. He's saying, don't murmur against one another. Don't grudge one another. The judge standeth on the other side of the door. You're going to have to answer to him. Be patient. And, and just very practically, your 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse number 5. And, uh, and, and I'm going to read several verses here, but it's, it's, a, it's serious, it's sinful to grumble. Another, another great word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, look at verse number 5. I'll read down through verse 11. It says, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, talking about the people of Israel. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. That's a lot of people. Twenty-three thousand people. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur, there's our word. You want to say it, I know. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all of these things happen unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the, of the ends of the world are come. Now in that list, you've got fornication, you've got people tempting Christ, you've got people living in idolatry, and you've got people murmuring. That's in the list. Murmuring. Complaining. Griping. Rebelling against leadership. And what's more, I think the same Lord who will judge those who oppress others will also judge those who murmur and grumble. Now here's the thing, and again, you can go back to James chapter 5. These people are being persecuted. I mean, don't you think they had the right to, to blow off a little steam? Well, I suppose they had the privilege of doing that, but James says, you're going to answer to the judge who stands on the other side of the door, who's just about to walk in the courtroom. This life isn't going to last forever. Be patient. Be patient because Christ's return is imminent. It's soon, and he's going to make everything right. It's not going to be like this forever. But be patient also because you and I are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to give an account to him personally for how we ran the, right, the race that he set before us. And you know what? The race that he set before each of us is a little bit different. There are things that you all go through that I have never gone through. Your race is a little bit harder than mine. I, I wish to some degree, and I think you know, I don't think I have to name anything, and I can't name anything, but to some degree I wish, and I think you do know enough, within, even within this room here, 
uh, of people that are suffering in different ways. You know what? Sometimes we're tempted to look at our race and say, nobody has it like me. But then again, there are other people in this room, and their race is a lot harder than our race. Be patient. Be patient. Remember, the Lord's judgment is to come. The judge standeth at the door. And then finally, look at verse number 10. And we'll end with this. We answer the question, how can I be patient? What, what will help me be patient? Well, look for the coming of the Lord. Remember, I'm going to stand before him and give an account for how patient I am. And number three, he tells us to follow the example of the Lord's servants. This is big. Follow the example of the Lord's servants. Look at verse number 10. He says this, Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord, for an example of suffering affliction and of patience. In other words, James says to these believers, I know some of you don't know how to be patient. I get that. But you're still going to have to answer to God for it, so I want to encourage you with something. You can follow somebody else's example. Uh, In other words, there are other people that have gone before you who had to be patient, who had to walk by faith and couldn't walk by sight. They couldn't go by their feelings because, frankly, their feelings were all... They couldn't follow those. They had to take God of his word. And specifically, he names the prophets in this statement. Did you notice that? He, He points us to the prophets. The prophets were those who spoke the word of God. That's what it says in verse number 10, the middle part, who have spoken in the name of the Lord. And what does that mean? Well, the name of the Lord is all that he is. It's all that he's done. It's all that he wills. It's his will. It's, it's his name. And I imagine that James was speaking of the example of the Old Testament prophets, probably up through John the Baptist. And when we're facing difficulty, and when we're suffering, and what we need to remember, we need to remember the suffering, the example specifically of the prophets. Sometimes when we're in the middle of a trial, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves. I might be the chief transgressor in that. I can pout with the best of them. Some of you as adults can pout with the best of them too. I thought it was just a child thing, but I found out I still have it, the ability at the age of 40. You don't want to see it. It looks pretty pathetic. You can ask Cindy. You know what? We start feeling sorry for ourselves. We have the perception nobody else has it as bad as I do. And it's just not the truth because remember the prophets. And not just the prophets, but remember the Old Testament saints. Remember the New Testament saints who have gone before us, who have suffered in ways that we've never suffered before. Remember them. And James is saying that those of us who are in the midst of persecution or the midst of suffering or adversity need an example of how to deal with the trial. And the idea of following someone else's example is nothing new to Scripture. In John chapter 13 and verse 14, it says this, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, Jesus says, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. So this idea of following an example is not new. When we don't know what to do, we ought to look to godly people in the Bible or to Christ's example, to see how we could overcome, how we can run the race. It's not new. It may be a little bit different. It may be personal or personalized to us. But it's a race that's been run before. It's a race that's been won before. And you and I can win it. 
you can win it. You can overcome it. And that is what an example is. It's, for, it's to help us do, to know what to do. We're to imitate the conduct of the prophets. James is saying, follow their pattern. And what was the example the prophets set for us? Well, the prophets were an example of suffering. We know that. I won't take time to go there, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said this. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which were sent unto thee. (laughs) Okay, so they suffered. So it's not a matter of, we can't look at the prophets and say, well, you know what, the prophets just don't really know what I'm going through. They, they didn't have to endure what I had to endure. Um, was it Isaiah? Um, I think it was Isaiah. And uh, the Lord says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he says, here am I, Lord, send me. And then God says, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to preach and teach. And guess what? They're not going to listen to you. Can I withdraw my uh, application to go? <laughs> I mean, who wants that? Or uh, there were other prophets, as, as Jesus just said, as I read to you in, in Matthew 23, where he sent his messengers to the people and they literally stoned them, killed them. But the, the prophets are examples of patience. The prophets were men. They were people like you and me who, because they spoke the truth, suffered affliction. Because they stood for the truth, they had to endure. And they did it with patience. And they did it like people. I say that because I'm reminded of Elijah, who had the great victory on Mount Carmel. All those prophets are slain. The Lord shows himself mighty, consumes not just the ox, but the entire altar, the stone, the water, and everything. And Elijah runs down from Mount Carmel, and guess what? Uh, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, says, I'm going to kill this man. And Elijah, frankly, he's discouraged and even depressed. And I, I love the Word of God because I love its honesty. Um, it's true, yes, but it's also straightforward. There's, it's not, they don't, all the Bible characters don't look like perfect people, you know, that we can't relate with. I can relate with Elijah. I can relate with different people of the Bible. And yet they overcame. They were patient. I, I'm reminding of, I remember uh, uh, Stephen, that deacon who preached and declared the glory of the Lord, and they took up stones and they stoned him. The, patient, the, the prophets patiently endured the persecution. I remember Moses who endured a stiff-necked and rebellious people. They, they rebelled against him, and yet he stood up for them. He was faithful and he was meek, the Bible says. I remember David who was hunted by King Saul in the mountains, but he still trusted God and waited for deliverance. And, and, and listen to this, he wrote volumes of truth regarding God's saving power. And you can read about it in in the Psalms. We should remember Daniel's endurance in the lion's den and John the Baptist who was beheaded for preaching the word of God boldly. It hasn't cost us our lives. And yet there is suffering. And And I'm not minimizing the suffering that's represented in this room. But know this, as you leave tonight, you are not alone. Because there are multitudes of believers. Read Hebrews chapter 11. There are multitudes of believers 
who have gone before us and are with the Lord today who ran the race with patience. Long temper. And you know what? To run the race of faith is going to take long temper. I worry about you sometimes because I know the temptation in different ways that you face. I think of you as men and some of the temptations that you face and women, the temptations that you face to sin. I think about the hardships that some of you are enduring and the weariness that must be there. I think about the loneliness that some of you are enduring, having lost loved ones. And then I'm reminded of the cloud of witnesses that have gone ahead, who ran and overcame patience. We'll come back, not next week, but the following week, we'll look at verse 11. I wish we didn't have to split it up. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we go from this place. Help us to run with patience. Lord, I pray specifically on this point that we would establish our hearts. We were, we were actually commanded to do that. We were commanded to make a, really make a decision uh, to completely, with complete dedication, establish our hearts resolutely in your direction. Though we may be surrounded by hardship or trials or heartache and grief, maybe even persecution, Kind of like Joshua, Lord, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, help this church. Protect us, I pray. Help us to put into practice some of these practical truths, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.